Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are talking about The Burning from 1981, directed by Tony Malum, written by Tony Malum, Brad Gray, Peter Lawrence, Bob Weinstein, and Harvey Weinstein, put a pin in that, starring Brian Matthews, Leah Ayers, Brian Backer, and Jason Alexander, and in this film, after a prank on a summer camp caretaker goes horribly wrong, he returns five years later to seek his revenge. If you're new to the show, we're going to talk about some spoiler-free background info on this movie for the first 15 or 20 minutes, and then we will play a little musical interlude before we transition into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen this movie yet, uh, you can hang with us for a while here, but once you hear that music, it is time to duck out and go watch this movie on Shudder. Ashvin, had you heard of this movie before? No, I hadn't heard about this until you mentioned it, but I guess it's a pretty big uh, popular film, right? Yeah, I think it's a fairly influential slasher, an important part of that little slasher boom. Yeah, hey, when you think about the slasher boom, uh, do, do you th- is it like really down to like a like a handful of years, like five years at the most? Yeah, I th- the period I often see cited is nineteen seventy eight to nineteen eighty four. Oh, okay. Would you put like basically from Halloween to Nightmare on Elm Street? Oh, okay. Those are your two end caps. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was looking at all the films that came out, like, right around this one, so many, right, like, that are all slashers and, like, very similar in, in terms of, like, the uh, setup and everything and then the format. Yeah, and I mean, there's even kind of the summer camp slasher as a subgenre of slasher. Yeah, <laughs> you don't see much of that anymore, do you? No, and I don't even think there are really that many of them. Uh, I think they're kind of collected into this little tiny window as well. Um uh- summer camp films uh specifically yeah yeah like yeah. sleepaway camp stage fright friday the, like the first few friday the 13th yeah yeah right right i yeah i was wondering about like a uh, camp culture in general and like how so many of these movies are about that um is that just not a thing people do anymore like go to summer camp that's a good question man as a kid that always seemed so wild to me because that wasn't really a part of my childhood or anyone i knew's childhood it seemed like a very kind of New England, New York, Western New York type of thing. Mm, yeah, East Coast type thing. Yeah, right. I feel like it was a big part of culture, pop culture in the 80s and 90s, though, like Salute Your Shorts. And there were so many kids movies where it's just like, OK, everybody goes off to camp for yeah X number of weeks <laughs> without their parents. I know. I was trying to understand, like, why parents would send their kids like these kind of camps. Like, was it to give the parents a break or are the kids like learning some kind of skills or something? Is it educational? I don't get it. Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of outdoor uh, education in there as well, and maybe just to give the parents a break over summer. Yeah, yeah, maybe with the kids at home. I, you know, I, I went to a Boy Scout summer camp once for a week, and it was like the worst uh, thing of I, I, of my youth. I think this was awful. <laughs> but you, you're never in Boy Scouts or anything. I was in Cub Scouts, but we only ever did like one night campouts, and they were in like cabins and stuff. Oh yeah, that sounds way better. Yeah, I didn't hang in Cub Scouts too long. It was too much work. It's a lot of work, and it's a lot of people who are like obsessed with uh, like like fire, a bunch of pyromaniacs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pocket knives. It's it's a it's a rough crowd. <laughs> You'll get burned or cut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or cut than burned. Yeah, yeah. What, I don't know which one's worse. But, but yeah, I, I, I looked up a, a list and, and uh, you know, some people have compiled like the top 10 uh, camp horror films. So it definitely was a genre. And I, I think you're right. Like this was kind of like the peak time for that. 
Yeah. Yeah, and um, some big names attached to this movie. Um, the director, Tony Malum, he had mostly done like concert films and some documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard of too much of his works of fiction, his feature films that are fictional. Same. But um, Brad Gray, one of the writers, was the CEO of Paramount Pictures from 2005 to 2017. Wow. Okay, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Bob and Harvey Weinstein, this was their first foray into producing feature films yeah and they would well, eventually become miramax well wasn't bob though is he like one of their writers editors as well yeah yeah he wrote bob and harvey both had like i think bob had a story and a screenplay credit and harvey came up with a story oh okay okay yeah like the concept or something yeah yeah um, which is disturbing, considering you don't know which elements of the story that that Harvey Weinstein had to do with, but there's some stuff in here that you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you wrote that. I know, I know, and uh, you know, as, as we go through the plot, uh, that that was one thing that I had a, a hard time kind of like not thinking about is that like this is the guy behind it, and I, I wonder like if his name wasn't on it, like uh, would some of those things jump out to you as much? Yeah, yeah, I mean. I think you and I, and listener, for your benefit, I think Ashwin and I are kind of mostly in the camp of separating the art from the artist, but like, for sure, talking about it on the show, um, mm-hmm. and kind of going on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, but, we should say, unfortunately, there was an incident on this movie. Yeah, right. So, Paula Wachowiak was a production assistant on the film. She said that Harvey Weinstein exposed himself to her and asked her for a massage while he was naked. She told the production supervisor at the time, I'm guessing nothing was done at the time, but she didn't come out to reporters about it after hearing all these similar allegations. Right, right. So yeah, and Weinstein, of course, is currently in jail, having been convicted for rape and sexual assault. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, and we'll talk about it as we go through the plot, but there's definitely some things in this movie where, who knows, maybe they were written by some of the other writers and they are just kind of in some 80s movies unfortunately yeah right um but you cannot help but wonder if what harvey had to do with these specific scenes and uh it it doesn't give you a good feeling yeah yeah that's a good point i mean as i watched it i kind of just assumed uh that was all him but you're right like it's the context of what was going on then and like the type of dialogue in movies and stuff and yeah who knows if he even wrote those parts or not but right right yeah unfortunately this is not atypical for for 80s films yeah but uh from everything i could tell though this was their first uh like i know you mentioned it's their first production but um it's their first foray into filmmaking at all right they had done i think fictional filmmaking but they had done like concert documentaries and stuff oh i thought oh okay okay right right because like those guys came from like they used to be like concert promoters and things and stuff like that right right yeah yeah so they had produced like documentaries on the like basically concert shows concert movies or whatever okay okay got it this is their first time doing like a full like feature length uh fictional film correct yeah interesting and that that surprises me given like the success uh like the box office success of this film like given you know how big their careers got like uh you would have guessed it would have been a failure based on this film right 
Right. Yeah. I mean, the budget here was between five hundred thousand and uh, one point five million. We don't have an exact number. I think what I read made it sound like it was ended up being closer to that one point five million. Mm-hmm. Um, and the box office was only seven hundred thousand in the U.S. and Canada. But the director um, Tony Malum said that it made its money back overseas and did very well, particularly in Japan. <laughs> That's random. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, I think between that, and, you know, that 700K is only U.S. and Canada. It doesn't include, uh, doesn't include other international markets. So between that and VHS rentals and stuff, it, sound, it probably did better than it seems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reported numbers are like half of the budget. So you think it not only met like its budget, but it uh, like, yeah, surpassed it like two, three times in order for it to be pro. So you would guess then it was profitable with international uh, audiences? Yeah, I mean, the director said it made his money back. And, and you believe it? That's all I know. Okay. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it had to compete with Friday the 13th Part 2, and it didn't even get a wide release as far as I could tell. Right, yeah. I feel like it was only 150 theaters or something like that, whereas I think a wide release needs to be 600 to be considered a wide release. Oh, okay, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, actually, like what you were saying earlier, too, about like uh, camps being at an East Coast or New England type thing, I, I think I saw that this one did really good in like select markets and like around the Buffalo area and stuff but not so much like when he went to like Chicago or the the West Coast. Yeah, and I think um, this was also, not only was it filmed in Western New York, but Cropsey is the name of a character in urban urban legends that seem to originate from like Staten Island. Oh, yeah. Were you you able to find that urban legend? I, I couldn't find anything about it. It was very confusing to research. The closest I got was that there was some sort of institution um, in the 70s in New York and there was a string of childhood disappearances that were somehow connected to that institution and I think mm. somebody who worked there was a suspect. Wow, wow, cool. Uh, what kind of institution? Um, like a, I don't know if it was like a tuberculosis center or like oh. a center for people with developmental issues. Mm. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, and so I don't know where the name Cropsey came from. I don't know what the story was, whether he was just lurking in the woods. Like, yeah. I think it's that age-old, like, there's a killer in the woods with a hook for a hand type thing, but then they somehow fused that thing that everybody has with this story about this particular institution and the sure. childhood disappearances. Yeah. But it was all very murky. It was it was tough to research. Yeah, yeah, right. And it sounds like other movies have also tried to pay uh, homage to that, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a documentary, I think it's just called Cropsey, from 2009, that dives a little bit more into that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, this has an 80% for critics, 61% for users. Uh, The gore was heavily cut by the MPAA, but restored in the 2007 DVD. And I can only assume, Ashwin, that what we saw on Shudder had the gore back in it, I would hope. Yeah, I would hope. (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine Shudder putting out, like, the the cut, the censored version. Yeah, unless they really couldn't get their hands on it. But if it was on that DVD, they should have been able to get a hold of it. Sure. And that's mostly your boy uh, Tom Savini, right? Yeah, he did the effects. He had been gaining notoriety for Dawn of the Dead, Friday the 13th, Maniac, and Eyes of a Stranger. And it was interesting 
they didn't just say special effects by Tom Savini. The credit he was credited as um, horror sequ- horror sequences designed by Tom Savini. Mm. So I don't know if, know if he had more leeway in terms of the choreography and stuff that yeah. might otherwise have been decided by a director, and that's why he got that specific credit. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a, a neat terminology. I've never heard of that. The horror sequences. Yeah, that's cool. and apparently he decided to do this over Friday the 13th Part 2. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't on board with the plot line of that one. Yeah, he just didn't. it didn't make sense to him that Jason was a grown adult now. <laughs> that's funny. Did he, but he came back to the Friday the 13th uh, uh, franchise later though, right? Like on Part 3 or 4 or something? On Part 4 so that he could kill off Jason. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was probably frustrated <laughs> to learn that no, that wasn't yeah. really how it worked. Yeah, that's the only way they're gonna get him back. That's funny. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And uh, this was the first film for Oscar winner Holly Hunter. Right. That's crazy. Did you Did you recognize her in this? No. I I even knew she was in it, and I was trying to figure out who it was, and I was like, I guess that one probably. Yeah. She, she looked like a kid. She was all, a kid. Yeah. They They all look like kids. I found myself afterwards like trying to calculate all their ages. Because uh, I'm convinced, like, uh, some of these actresses that we saw they had to have been underage, but I, so far I haven't found anything yet. Those ones, I think the ones in question seemed uh, old enough to me. Okay, okay. I, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. They just seem really young. Uh, and that was another part of that dynamic here, because I, I feel like most camp movies, you're just focused on, like, the counselors or the people running the park, but in this one you also had uh, the kids and stuff. So, uh, sometimes I, I, like, did you have a hard time telling the difference between who the adults were and who the kids were? Uh, it was a little blurry at times, but I got the, I got the hang of it. Mm, okay. I'm still not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> I mean, there were like kids of various ages yeah. and then there were the counselors. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Okay. Um, any other background info before we head into the Ohio connection? Uh, you mentioned Jason Alexander. I did briefly. This was his start in movies too. Who yeah. went on to become George Costanza in Seinfeld? <laughs> did he go on to become George Costanza, or was he George Costanza in this? Film? He was born George Costanza. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I never knew I wanted to see George Costanza in a horror film before I saw this. So was, right, he was great. <laughs> yeah, I know. He was so he was basically George Costanza, wasn't he? No. What oh, you think his his character was like different than his character in Seinfeld? Yes, very much so. Ah, I don't know. I thought it's like his. I thought he had like that whole kind of Queens, uh, New York kind of vibe to him, and like the way he was talking, like oh, yeah, come on, come on, guys, and that kind of thing. Uh, I, I just thought it was very George from Seinfeld. Well, now that you say, oh, guys, come on, come on, then yeah, you, you got me. You see it now, right? <laughs> that's so George. <laughs> I know that's so George. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, he plays a character from New York in each of these, and maybe he is from New York, but. Uh, he's a cocky, young, wisecracking kid in this. Not yeah. like a self-deprecating, uh, generally miserable person. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when he gets in his adult years, he kind of knows who he is, but he's still kind of got, like, that uh, cockiness of, like, a New Yorker to him, even in Seinfeld. And I I felt like that part you can kind of see in, in this one. Um, but I don't know. It's... Okay. Maybe not. All right, we'll have a separate conversation after we're recording. All right, for our Seinfeld stuff. <laughs> Um, before we go to the Ohio Connection, though, I want to shout out to our Patreon supporters. So thank you to Michael, Don, Tim, Adam, Jordan, 
Bjorn, Amy, Cooper, Sam, Moonmonk, Margo, Becca, Blake, and Kelly. That list is getting longer, and that's great. Um, and folks, right after we record this, we're going to record a spoiler-free mini-sode on The Dark and the Wicked for you Patreon supporters. So hopefully that will be available either right now or very soon, and you can check that out and decide if you want to watch The Dark and the Wicked on Shudder. Um, and thanks again for your support. And our Ohio connection, as always, is done by our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. Be sure to go check them out very soon when they open up their patio once the weather gets officially nice. And Alex says The Burning is a slasher film from the early 80s. It was the film debut for future Hollywood mainstays Jason Alexander, Holly Hunter, and Fisher Stevens. Legendary makeup artist Tom Savini was also enlisted to work on the film, who had achieved notoriety for his work on Dawn of the Dead, Friday the 13th, etc. In fact, Savini stated that a kill scene from The Burning, when Karen's throat is slit by Cropsey, oh sorry everybody, minor spoiler, has mirrored staging and effects from a hitchhiker death scene in Friday the 13th. The actress portraying Karen is Carolyn Houlihan, who only worked on this and one other film before leaving the business. Before this film, she rose to prominence through beauty pageants, having been previously crowned Miss Ohio 1979, and Houlihan was born in Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's fun. Former Miss Ohio in here. That's great. Yeah. Uh, cool. Were well, you ready to uh, start spoiling stuff, walk through the plot, and review it as we go? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do that. Um, can you hold on for one second? I think I hear my wife calling me from upstairs, and she sounds kind of angry. Oh, no. Okay, sure. Okay, be right back. Mm-hmm. Okay, man, I'm back. Hey, everything okay? Yeah, yeah, we had this ongoing argument because I like to sleep with a giant can of gasoline next to the bed, and she's <laughs> anti-gasoline in the bedroom. Oh, she's not on board with that. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's finally had enough, so we compromised and moved it out to the hallway. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. That's good. That's a safe place for it. <laughs> Should be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Closer to my children. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are you, are you going to be okay with that distance, though? <laughs> I'll sleep a little less soundly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe yeah, I'll just clutch some lighter fluid. <laughs> yeah, whatever it takes. Yeah, that, that, that's so weird that uh, this guy has uh, gasoline like right by his bed. <laughs> uh, so the movie begins with some young campers at Camp Blackfoot who are planning to play a prank on the caretaker there at, named Cropsey. And we see one of them sneak into the caretaker's bunk while he's sleeping, while the other campers watch through the window. This camper puts a creepy skull next to Cropsey's bed and lights candles in the skull's eyes. Cropsey wakes up, sees it, freaks out, and knocks the skull over, and the flame causes a fire to start on his sheets. Some gasoline is knocked over, and in no time, this dude is straight up on fire, and the campers are like, oh shit. The gasoline, yeah, was just right there next to his bed. I'm thinking maybe he was an alcoholic, supposedly, so maybe he had spilled some alcohol in his sheets, which didn't help this fire scenario. Mm. Who knows? Yeah, right. But he runs out of his bunk, flailing around, completely on fire, and he eventually tumbles down a ravine into a lake. And the next scene we see is him at a hospital 
well, no, it's not him yet. It's just these people working at a hospital gossiping about how hideous this guy is. And we get a jump scare when his arm, his burned arm reaches out the blankets and grabs this dude. Um, then he's released five years later after extensive rehabilitation and skin grafts. And as we see him being wheeled out, uh, we can't really see him. We just see the wheelchair and we hear an audio montage of kind of like psychological counseling about his hatred and his desire for revenge and how it's not helpful and he needs to remember it's just an accident. Um, Ashram, what did you think about this intro? Uh, so I, I loved the uh, the opening part because uh, I, I thought they built up the suspense really well because you, you don't know what's in the box and uh, they kind of like put it in, in his uh, cabin and even like after it's lit, like you don't know what it is. And then I, I thought the skull like looks really cool with the worms coming out of it. And uh, it was just like, yeah, terrible prank gone wrong. So that, that was really cool. I thought the hospital scene, though, was kind of dumb. Like, it was almost like being at, like, a circus show or something where, like, this orderly guy or, or someone's, like, trying to convince this doctor, like, oh, you got to see this. It's, it's a, this is it. Like, this is going to be, like, the craziest thing you've ever seen. And I thought that was kind of, like, hokey. So I, I wasn't really on board with that. But I thought the first half opening was really cool. What, what did you think? Yeah, the hospital scene was pretty hokey. But I agree. I thought that first half at the camp was really cool and I think compared to a lot of slashers from this time the cinematography and direction just seemed a cut above like it seemed like shot and edited to build a bit more suspense than we usually see in these type of movies oh yeah like like the not revealing the skull until like the last minute yeah and just kind of the way it was cut with the kids watching through the window and you're creeping and wondering if Cropsy's gonna wake up yeah um it wasn't just like checking a box, somebody kills somebody in the opening scene. It was something new and different. Yeah, yeah. Even like the the shot of like the kids talking to each other with like the flashlights, like that's their opening scene. I thought that was really cool too. Yeah, yeah. It just felt a little bit more human in some openings too. Like mm-hmm. you see these kids and they're pissed at this guy and they... It sounds like this dude is a total dick, so they have the motive for this prank, and <laughs> and we see their emotions as everything goes horribly wrong. Yeah, do, do you think uh, we got enough... Uh, so so when he catches on fire and, like, things start to go wrong and he's, like, you know, headed out to jump in the river, do you feel like we get a sense of, like, the kids panicking and realizing, like, this has gone terribly wrong? Probably could have gotten more of that, but for a cheap slasher from 1981, I was pleased. Okay, cool. Yeah. You wish for more? Yeah, yeah, but I think you're right. You, you got to remember what kind of film we're watching. So I, I think you're right. I think it was appropriate. Right. So after his release from the hospital, we see a sex worker guiding a man up to her apartment, which we can only assume is Cropsy. And we don't see what he looks like. But once he's up in the apartment, we see him grab a pair of scissors from a table and stab her in the stomach. Um, and Ashwin, what did you think about this first kill? Yeah, I, th- I thought the editing was kind of bad on it. Um, so yeah, yeah, like the the way her expression changes from like like luring him in to like suddenly this thing of horror and like kind of begging for her life uh, didn't feel like very natural or realistic. And then the the gore and the and the attack, which like this is this kind of uh, surprised me that it was like Tom Savini because um, it just I, I don't know it, there's something like really fake about uh, the stabbing here. But um, did did you feel the same way? Yeah, this kill was underwhelming, and yeah, you might be right. Um, and the horror community acts as if Tom Savini can do no wrong, and he's awesome. And like the stuff he's doing was done with such like minimal resources and such short notice that he's earned all the credit he gets. But it's 
some of his kills all aren't always amazing yeah um so yeah i i think this was just okay the one thing i really liked about it was when she goes upstairs to like get to her apartment in the building you see a shot of him standing in the doorway of the building mm-hmm. in the shadows with just a hat and a trench coat on right uh that was kind of ominous and, and yeah. a cool shot yeah yeah that was a really cool shot did uh like, did this being like like outside of the camp like they're obviously like in a city somewhere did that uh, throw you off at all it didn't really throw me off but yeah it's interesting it's a little different yeah, a yeah. Quick pit stop. <laughs> I know. Before the camp, you stop in near downtown and uh, find a sex worker, I guess. Um, his look here with the trench coat and hat reminded me of how Raphael goes to the movies in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly the look, man. <laughs> That's it. It's a good look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that, that is like a cool appearance, and uh, and she's like asking him to take off his hat, and and then when he does, it sounds like that's when she freaks out. Yeah, yeah, and I think any uh, interesting cinematography and editing that was in that opening scene that builds builds more suspense than your average eighty slasher. Yeah, uh, kind of went away in this scene. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Kind of back to business as usual here. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So, uh, did he not want to have sex, or did was he just there like to kill her? Um, I don't know, man. All right. Maybe he had mixed emotions about it. Yeah, maybe seeing her reaction kind of spurred him on more. Yeah, I know. Or maybe yeah. that was his plan all along. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. And is this then where he acquires uh, the weapon that he'll be using for the rest of the movie? That's a good question because it seemed like those were like sewing scissors, and then later in the movie he seems to have garden shears. Yeah, so maybe he was like, "I like the feel of these, but I need something bigger." Right, right. It's hard for me to imagine she had garden shears in that apartment. There's a deleted Home Depot scene. (laughs) Oh yeah, Uh, I want to see that scene. (laughs) So we transition to a summer camp where the campers are playing softball. There are a lot of sexual remarks about women made right off the bat. Oh, pardon the softball pun. And (laughs) some suspense builds when we see a camper run into the woods to look for a ball, and we see Garden Shears coming for her, but she escapes just in time, not even knowing that Cropsy was there. And we kind of have, like, Cropsy vision, like the camera lurking in the woods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something watching them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the next scene involves a kid named Alfred who's spying on a girl named Sally while she's in the shower and he gets scolded for it. The female counselor, Michelle is like, get this kid out of camp and the male counselor, Todd defends him. Um, and throughout this whole movie, it's kind of like, you're supposed to maybe feel bad for Alfred because he's like, well, I did it because I don't have any friends. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. okay. <laughs> they really try to rationalize that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was so hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If anyone ever is peeping on me while I'm in the shower, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> oh, sorry, I don't have friends. <laughs> oh, okay. That okay, proceed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was, it was hard to get behind uh, Alfred's character on this one. Yeah. Um, and that night, Alfred sees Cropsy in the window of the boy's bunk, but nobody believes him. He's not totally sure what he saw. And the next day, some of the campers, some of the older campers, are taken on an overnight canoe trip led by Michelle and Todd, two counselors. And on the first night, they gather around the campfire, and Todd tells the story of Cropsy 
and one of the campers dresses up in a mask and scares everybody. And yeah. I actually thought this scene was a little bit scary. Did you? Oh, when that yeah, when that guy jumped out. Yeah, it was a creepy mask. Yeah, yeah, it it was a creepy mask, but it, it was just so obvious that like, because uh, I feel like anytime you see these scenes of like people telling a scary story around a campfire, someone like there's always like someone hiding to like jump out and like add to the scare. So I, yeah. I kind of expected that, uh, but but you, you got a good jump out of it. I did. If if we were there, it sounds like it would have been me clutching your arm and burying <laughs> my head in your chest. I would have been there for you, man. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, babe. Um, <laughs> so just as a frame of reference, we we like proceed from here, but it's been like forty or forty five minutes, and none of the campers have died yet. Did you yeah. find this movie to be a little bit slow? I did. I have that in my notes too. That like uh, for up to like 40, 50 minutes, uh, you're not seeing any of these campers, uh, any action happening, and and like so many like jokes though going on, right? And like pranks and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So like one, on one hand, I'm like, well, at least this isn't the typical 80s slasher where it's like you get the kill every 10 minutes and campers are just dropping off slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, it maybe you don't get attached to any specific character, but maybe you get a little bit more attached to the campers because you see so much of their joking and hanging out maybe yeah but i, I don't know for sure <laughs> yeah I, I had two things going against me uh, i don't like it like it to, to to get tied to them is one they're like way too many of them and i was still trying to figure out like who is who and then uh second like the the joking and stuff uh i don't know like it wasn't like that funny so it, 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 it was kind of started to get more on like the annoying level did, did you have any of that yeah yeah it wasn't super funny jason alexander i thought was funny sometimes in his <laughs> delivery <laughs> Did did you get his joke like a uh, life jacket? Oh, he's like oh like would you guys can I get you guys anything a life jacket spermicide things like that? Uh, he's he's kind of like this hustler like getting people stuff on the camp or something. But oh yeah I, yeah that was kind of his role like the smuggler. Yeah, <laughs> it was like are they in jail or something? Like what, what's what's he doing there? <laughs> was, like yeah, bringing like condoms in and stuff. Is a weird guy. Um. So that night, we do start to see some action. Uh. Ugh, no pun intended. Especially not in this situation. There are two campers named Karen and Eddie who sneak off to Skinny Dip. And Eddie is one of two guys who the whole movie have just been, like, really pressuring a, a woman to, like, hook up. up with him and just, yeah. like, won't lay off and is a general dick. Yeah. Um, they go Skinny Dipping. It turns out that Karen's not going to put out and Eddie gets pissed. And I'm pretty sure his exact words are, get the fuck out of my face. Yeah. <laughs> um, not funny, but pretty ridiculous. Yeah. How blatant this is. I know. Uh, she runs off and finds her clothes are missing and she slowly finds them scattered around the woods and eventually gets her throat slit by Cropsy. Hmm. Ashwin, this kill was so dark that I couldn't even see anything, but was that just me? No, same here. Like, I, this one, like, doesn't stick out at all because, yeah, you couldn't really see any of the gore or, like, any of the attack at all. So yeah. It's, it's tough. I will say at this point, one thing that stood out to me was that the general production values and acting seem to be better than, like, your typical Friday the 13th movie. Oh, really? It seemed like it to me. Like, you're talking about, like, film quality? Just, or- like, acting, editing, cinematography, all just seemed a little bit of a notch above. Sure. At least sure. like pre Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. I see. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I, I can't remember those uh, firstly so well. I know we're like pretty down on those, uh, but you, you feel like uh, even like given like the slow pacing that you mentioned up front, like you, you still feel like uh, this is like a bit higher quality than those. Yeah, I mean, I'm not kind of factoring the pacing into that, but just production values in general, a little yeah. bit higher quality. Okay, cool. Um, the next day, once it's realized that Karen is missing, the counselors tell everyone to split up and look in the woods. They also realize the canoes have gone missing, so some of them make a makeshift raft and paddle back to camp, and on their way there, they spot a canoe. They head towards it. <laughs> And from the time that they see this canoe to the time that they get to it, it's like four hours. And they're like so excited like the whole time. It's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we did it. We did it. Yeah, let's go. Like you could get up and get a snack in the time that it takes them to like paddle the raft. Yeah. Like it's like real time. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, but really? it's kind of worth the wait because Cropsy is in there, pops out and just annihilates all of them once they get to this canoe. There's a dude who gets his fingers chopped off. Someone's forehead gets sliced open. I'm pretty sure Rapey Eddie gets his throat punctured with the scissors. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was kind of an intense scene with all these kids screaming and just getting gored. What did you think? Totally, man. This this is like peak climax for me. Like, uh, I, I thought they were going to find like a dead body in that canoe, like Aaron's body or something. That's what uh, I thought. Yeah, but like to have this guy pop out and like murder all these kids on a raft, that was incredible. And and uh, and because it's daylight, I think you can appreciate some of the uh, action sequences a little bit more. Like didn't someone's? Did you mention someone's fingers get cut off? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's. I think you can like uh, kind of see that stuff more easily, and uh, it's pretty good to admire. Right. This is the first time I feel like you can really appreciate the effects in this movie. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, we still haven't seen his face though. Like, was was that starting to bother you? Um, no, I was cool with it. I like the, uh, I like the garden shears as proxy for this person's being. Sure. Yeah, I guess that's all you really need to know for now. Um, meanwhile, two other campers, Glazer and Sally. Glazer's another dude who's just been, like, nagging Sally the whole time to hook up with him and being super aggressive. Um, they go hook up in the woods. After they do, he goes to get some matches for a fire, and while he's gone, Sally gets killed. Glazer comes back to the scene and Cropsy stabs him in the neck with the shears and then he's like carrying him with these scissors by his neck oh, and yeah. pins him to a tree. Yeah. I thought there was, was cool. a really cool moment here where Glazer like looks up at Cropsy as he's being carried along with the shears in his neck. Yeah. And it's like a full body shot of Glazer. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of like a how did they do that moment? You kind of expect that shot to not either not be full body or if it is full body to be some sort of a like dummy or something sure yeah um, yeah but it looked really good and just kind of made it a little more horrifying to see him his full body as he looks up at him while this while he's being carried by a shear in his neck yeah wow that's i, I gotta go back and watch that scene again uh but yeah that, that, that sounds like an awesome shot yeah check it out maybe i'm exaggerating how awesome it was but it, it took me by surprise yeah yeah great kill um in keeping with Alfred's personality, he is creeping on this and watching. <laughs> it's like he never <laughs> learned, right? He's, <laughs> he's been like watching them from a distance the whole time. And then Crop, Cropsy turns and sees him and Alfred goes, but I don't have friends. And Cropsy's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And walks away. <laughs> That's cool. That makes sense. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 
So Alfred runs to get Todd, and Cropsey somehow incapacitates Todd, and Alfred runs, and there's a chase scene between Alfred sprinting through the woods, and we know Cropsey's somewhere in the woods on his heels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought there was an impressive shot here of Alfred running through the woods as the camera kind of pans and stays on Alfred as we see all the like vegetation whiz by. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a good shot. Um, back with the other set of campers, they've been kind of waiting for these people who went out with the raft to maybe come back or whatever, and they see the raft floating in the creek, and the counselor, Michelle, swims out to check it out, and then she, everyone's just kind of like real casual, they're not worried, and she stumbles upon this gory scene, she grabs an arm that comes off in her hand, a dead body bobs out of the water right into her face, and she's terrified, and the kids on the shore are terrified and screaming. And I thought this was like just as effective as the massacre scene that we had just seen on the raft. But what did you think of this scene, Ashwin? Yeah, I, I felt the same, man. Like this is a like a horrific discovery, and uh, all these like bodies there, and, and like one kind of like pops out from under the raft. Too. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's I, I like this part a lot. Um. And so then she brings the remaining campers back to camp to contact the authorities. I think on that same raft, right? Oh, is that? Yeah, I guess. Like, what else would they have had, right? So they probably had to, like, get everybody off that thing. Yeah, maybe they just flipped it upside down or something. And I like that she gets back to camp. One of the counselors thinks it's a joke because she's like, there's a murderer out there. Yeah. And she says, God damn it, look at those kids. And they cut back to the kids, like, helping each other off the raft, and they're all crying and hugging and clinging to each other. Right. Um, I thought this kind of stood out, too, because most slashers just, not most of them, I think, have the murders, like, kind of be unknown to some of the other characters sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like a person walks into a room and they get gone and it's like, hey, where's Steve? And then the next person gets gone. Yeah, yeah. But seeing the characters react to this really helped make it a little bit more effective to me. I I was more invested in the movie. Oh, like a lot less like kind of stupidity and stuff uh, by the main characters? Not that it was less stupidity. I just felt a little bit more attached to the characters, even though I did struggle to even know everyone's names or anything about them. Mm-hmm. But you're seeing them go through this struggle and you're seeing them do it together and comfort each other. Yeah. Instead yeah. of just a bunch of characters who are unwittingly um, in a part of the massacre, but just like, dope de dope de do Oh, sure. Yeah. Just totally unaware, right? Yeah. 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 That's that's a really good point. That that is uh, something I guess you don't see too often. Like the like the trauma they're all experiencing together. That that's a good one. Yeah, I've been on this little kick where I'm noticing that I think you can really develop a character just by showing their reaction to stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned that like in paranormal activity, like being able to see their uh, their uh, reactions when they see what's happening on camera and stuff. So yeah, this is in a similar vein. Yeah, and that's not just a Brian thing. I I read it in. Uh, <laughs> um, the Art of Plotting. I can't remember the author now. Ah, cool. I'm going to call it a Brian thing for now. Yeah. Um, so back to Todd and Alfred's plate. Todd, who has been incapacitated by Cropsey, regains consciousness. He hears Alfred screaming from off in the woods. He grabs an axe and sets out to find Alfred. He follows the screams into what is apparently a mine shaft or something. And once he's in there, he stumbles upon Karen's dead body. 
and he finds that Cropsey has Alfred pinned to the wall with his shears, just Alfred's arm. Alfred's still alive. And Cropsey tries to attack Todd with a flamethrower. And at this part, the action is intercut with a flashback to that opening scene of the movie to remind us that Todd was there the night yeah. they pulled that prank on Cropsey. Um, yeah, that's, that was interesting. Because <laughs> yeah. Todd, uh, he told that story at the campfire, right? Yeah, he did. It, it, and he, I think, made it seem like he was there. Like, he told somebody he was there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or that he, was, he insinuated that he was maybe somehow... Uh, part of it or new Cropsey. Yeah, I see. To okay. somebody at some point. But I think this flashback was actually kind of necessary because um, I think you needed a reminder that Todd was there in the intro because it wasn't him, it was a different actor. Yeah, like um, I, I, I totally didn't put that together without seeing this, did you? I had a feeling, um, but at least as we were approaching the scene, I had a feeling, but they go back to when whoever is leading the prank is shining a flashlight on every kid and saying like, Bill, you ready? Steve, you ready? Todd, you ready? Um, so I think it was kind of necessary to remind the viewer. Um, and I think it even maybe added to some of the drama and suspense here. Mm -hmm. Of the Um, sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because if Alfred is able to free himself from this situation with the shears, pinning his arm to the wall and he stabs Cropsey in the back with them um, and then as they're exiting we get the stereotypical the killer isn't actually dead moment and Todd's able to finally kill Cropsey by smashing his face with an axe and uh, during while this is happening they've finished intercutting with the flashback and now they're intercutting to like Michelle and police like gathering outside and like trying to find them oh yeah so mm-hmm. I think intercutting with each of those things kind of added a little bit more drama and suspense to this uh, climax scene here in the mineshaft. Yeah, it, it was a little more creative than like your typical kind of straight uh, storyline. Is it was kind of cool to, that it would cut to other stuff. Even th- th- there's another uh, cut too. Do, do you remember uh, while they're like while all this is happening, they're also like flashing back to all the other kills in the movie. Oh, are they? I think so. Like uh, in in the same sequence, like after he remembers that, uh, oh yeah, I was the kid, Todd, and um, and uh, it, it connects that. Then while they're fighting Cropsey, I feel like it also flashes back to the murders of like everyone else, like Karen and uh, the the other people that were killed. Like for some reason, it, it, yeah, it shows those deaths again. Okay, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, that could have been clumsy, but I think it worked. Yeah, it was something different, unique. So it was an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, so after Todd smashes Cropsey's face with his axe, Alfred makes sure the job is good and done by setting Cropsey on fire with the flamethrower. Um, oh, and at some point here, we get a reveal on Cropsey's yeah. face. Right. The big um, reveal. <clears throat> yeah. Which I think was good. Not great. It wasn't as dramatic as it could have been. Yeah, I, I I liked it. I mean, it's it's interesting because like the, the whole movie they're building up to it, and you're wondering what it looks like. Uh, so I, yeah, I thought it was fine. It, I, I heard like he only had like three or four days to, uh, to make it. Tom Savini. Yeah, it sounded like a rush job. Rush job. I think yeah, the face itself looked fine. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so the guys make their way out of the mine shaft where Michelle and the police are waiting, and everything is presumably okay. And the film ends with another counselor around a fire telling the story of Cropsey. And he is like issuing all the campers a warning 
and he says like if like don't do this or you're dead and he like looks <laughs> at you makes eye contact with the camera breaking the fourth wall yeah and it like <laughs> echoes and that's the way the movie ends yeah <laughs> it's did i get you <laughs> <laughs> that one didn't get me okay so you can let go of my arm now <laughs> all right <laughs> i've got my senses and i i'm just not into this Ash. <laughs> starting to get weird <laughs> um so what did you think of this ending man uh yeah you know i, I like the face reveal and I, I think to your point like the 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 cuts being interspersed with like what was happening in, in terms of like the battle with uh uh it was it was interesting um and yeah maybe it did add like a layer to the the battle too um, but I, part of me just kind of felt bad for him that like, you know, he got pranked by kids when he was younger and, uh, got his face burnt. Well, I guess not when he was younger, but like five years ago. And now he's being killed, like literally being burnt by like the same kid, uh, to death. So I, I'm sure he was like a, a, a bad dude and stuff, but a part of me felt a little bad for him. Uh, did, did you feel bad at all? Um, I did not feel bad for the murderer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that might be a, a thing you should look more into. Well, <laughs> I mean, he got his face burned off by these, like, uh, kids. No, yeah, I mean, it was a horrible, horrible event for him. Yeah. And it seemed like his goal was to get revenge on Todd with fire, maybe. Yeah, right? yeah. Right, he stabbed everybody else, but he had a flamethrower ready for Todd. Right, right. Yeah, I was surprised, like, he wasn't able to, to use it on him. Like, he seemed pretty easily overcome by uh, the guy seeing Cap from behind. Yeah, I mean, he got, a, he got a good stab in with the shears. He doesn't have superpowers or anything. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's all um, it takes. Yeah. I what guess did, at did, Home Depot he picked up a flamethrower too. Yeah. With those garden shears. <laughs> I guess it must have been some trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but and then I thought that the campfire thing was was dumb and unnecessary, but yeah, what, what were your thoughts on the ending? Yeah, the campfire thing was really hokey. Um, yeah. I don't think it ruined the ending, but I, I kind of liked it. I think sometimes the uh, endings of these can feel a little not quite as climactic as you'd want them to um i think the uh i think things being intercut with the final scene helped here strangely uh, it just mm. added a bit more drama and brought the story together a little bit better yeah yeah kind of titled elements of like what you've been seeing like a nice kind of like wrap around in a way yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah i hear you that makes sense adds adds a little more weight to emotional weight to what you're watching yeah it, it sounds like my perception as we walk through the plot here is that I tend to dis- it seems like I think this is maybe like a notch above some other slashers of this time period mm-hmm. other slashers of this time period but it sounds like maybe you're like this is this is about on par with other stuff we've seen yeah yeah I think so I mean you know like towards like the last Friday the 13th we saw part part four or whatever uh which is what, what's that one called oh I, I think mean- we saw part five last no wait yeah, we saw part five last, A New Beginning. Oh, we did? Oh, A New Beginning. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I was starting to appreciate those, and uh, I, I, I guess you do get to use, like, a certain formula of, like, deaths every, like, you know, certain 10 to 15 minutes and, like, creative kills. Uh, this one, like, I, I didn't feel like there were a lot of creative kills uh, going for it, and then I, I think as we talked about, like, the beginning is actually kind of slow if you take out that random murder uh, of the sex worker in, in, like, the de- in like a city somewhere. 
Um, then this one, I, I don't know, it, it kind of falls outside of like the typical lines for better or worse of like your typical slasher. But uh, like I appreciate they were trying to do something different, but also it didn't have the things I generally have started to grow to appreciate of the slasher. But um, you, you didn't feel that way at all? Um, I, th- I get what you're saying, but I kind of appreciated that it didn't become a tedious like one not very suspenseful kill after another every 10 minutes yeah Um, yeah but i hear you the second act was slow um but even though we didn't really get a lot of character development or even necessarily have a single character art arc like i guess todd was the main character but (laughs) apparently not really yeah. yeah um i thought that just spending the time with the kids helped like it helped make the raft scene a bit more impactful for me right it right. wasn't like it helped and then i was like okay now i'm on board with these campers it was just like oh shit like there they all go yeah <laughs> um it, it made it a little bit more important to me than than just seeing vapid characters with poor dialogue dropping off one after the other i thought the dialogue was even though it was like cheesy jokes and stuff there were moments where it was like slightly a cut above you didn't feel like the dialogue was like so cringeworthy, like in terms of uh, how like every conversation, like you had two or three people who were just like trying to, uh, you know, coerce women into having sex with them. You had one dude who was just like watching creepily, like people in the shower, like people trying to have sex. It didn't like make you hate these characters. Um, unfortunately, not. <laughs> I think it was just like so par for the course with these eighties slashers to me that it was I don't know maybe I got used to it Mm. Um, yeah 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 I hear what you're saying it was like a crude sexual joke every five minutes yeah, I, I think uh, th- that was hard. And I mean, I'm trying to think like if, if that was just hard because, you know, we knew like Harvey's name is associated or uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I still felt like this was pretty over the top and you're hearing things like, oh, you know, you want it or, uh, you know, why won't you give it to me and that kind of thing. And then um, the lack, like I think one thing the Friday the 13th movies do uh, well in comparison to this is they have that main character, that final girl, that storyline of hers that you're following and in, to that final battle. You didn't really have that in this movie, did you? No, I mean, you didn't really have a main character, and then this is a bit unique in that the film ends with a dude saving a dude. Yeah, yeah, which I guess is progressive. (laughs) (laughs) A dude saving a dude who is a peeping Tom. Yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah, pretty pretty good day for dudes that day. <laughs> Go dudes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they it's 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 different, but I I kind of I, I don't think that it's as strong of as an ending versus like seeing uh in the Friday the 13th like a, a you know a female protagonist uh, emerge and like come out conquering uh over Jason. I think those female protagonists tend to be so underdeveloped that I don't think they're that great, the endings in those movies. So, But you were coming up, you've been coming up higher on those movies than I have, so. Yeah, that's true. Just like we were talking about in Paranormal Activity where we have these personas, I think yeah. we were both together and not really liking vapid slashers, but you are, you're, you're parting ways with me. You're going down your own separate trail. I know, I know. I'm trying to embrace them. I, I feel like I'm starting to understand the, the fun that they can be. Uh, but then, yeah, I, I didn't think this one had some of those fun elements. But I, I agree with you, that raft scene, like, you wouldn't see anything like that in, like, a typical Friday the 13th or slasher film. And that, that, that like, obviously stands out here and is, is really great. 
but um, you're saying you'd rather have uh, an under, you'd rather have a, a, a dude, like a, two dudes, like one's a creeper and like one you've barely seen on or barely know compared to like an underdeveloped like female protagonist. Hmm. No, <laughs> you're making... <laughs> <laughs> You're making me sound like an asshole over here. I know that's the point. <laughs> um, I think it was an interesting change of pace. Yeah, and it shifted off the formula. I wasn't sure. like, yeah, hey, you dude, save that other creepy dude, go. I don't want to yeah. see any women being heroic here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just something new, and I thought. Basically, the pacing mostly of that climax was better than what I expected. Mm, yeah, yeah. But I totally hear what you're saying. There is no main character. You're not like on board with Todd the whole movie. But I, I, I would say you could still make that case for most of the final girls in the first three, four, sure. Friday the Thirteenth movies. However many we've seen, five. Ah, uh, yeah. For, for sure like there, there was like very underdeveloped like a, a character development's never like a strong point for a lot of these films yeah. um but and yeah I hear what you're saying too of being like oh my god so much of the second act of this movie is just dudes being rapey and to see yeah. harvey Ni- harvey weinstein's name as one of the first names that appears in the credits and then go on to watch that yeah i mean it's it's harder to divorce yourself from that than it would be if you just saw his name on on a movie because it's on a lot of movies. I mean, Miramax yeah. made a lot of films and a lot of horror films. For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. They went they went a long way there. Um, but uh, you know, even on on that climax piece. So uh, I I get what you're saying. Like it, it's it's nice because it's different because uh, they're bringing in like footage from previous parts of the film or like they're cutting it with like other things that are going on. Whereas like uh, I I think most of the slashes we've seen a lot of like the ending sequences or the last twenty minutes is like this one on one kind of like chase scene in a way where like the killer is chasing the the last person like through like different rooms or through a house. So I. I kind of, I, I, I kind of think that's like more effective than uh, what we saw here, which is like two guys, a, a killer with a a blowtorch who's like coming up like very slowly and like one mine shaft that's like randomly placed in the woods. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like you, you think this is kind of like a stronger ending compared to those? You know, man, you're talking me out of it. I I did think while I was watching it, like that scene alone wasn't as suspenseful or anything on its own merit it kind of had to like reach out into other aspects of the movie and pull those in by intercutting to make it more dramatic sure Uh, yeah which i thought was a good choice um but yeah you're right that the essence of that scene itself didn't really have that much to it 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 couldn't really stand on its own two legs very strongly yeah because they're just in like one room one dark room essentially (laughs) it seemed like yeah, yeah, and he's like coming like really slow towards him, <laughs> yeah. with like and, and kind of like taunting him with the blowtorch. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like without the uh, those like flashes to other scenes, that would have been a pretty painful scene on its own. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a bad climax. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, as much as there are things I'm saying that this stands out and above to me, it's still an eighty slasher, which I generally don't like, and yeah, um, the, I I echo the complaints you have as well, even though I'm arguing the other side, and it did did get pretty darn slow there for a while, and spend yeah. a lot of time with two couples where the dudes were just extremely unlikable. 
Oh man, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you think? Uh, I think one thing the other slashes did really well is like layer in the humor. Uh, did Did you feel like that was? Laird and well, like I, I thought that one kind of rapey dude who like finally gets that girl and then you know he like uh, it's like over really quick. Uh, that that I thought was was kind of funny, but I, I don't know. Did you think like this one was funny throughout? Yeah, he kind of had a premature ejaculation moment. Yeah, um, there were there were some lines here and there that made me laugh. <laughs> For okay. some reason, when you've got that like really suspenseful scene of uh, what's her name now, Molly the counselor she's swimming towards it's not molly but whatever she's swimming towards that raft to like find out what's going on and jason alexander standing on shore and he just goes okay we'll stay here you guys are in trouble counselor coming (laughs) and like it's not funny for me to do it so i apologize to the listeners but (laughs) his delivery there were some lines for him that weren't great lines but he delivered them very well because he's jason alexander yeah, like he delivered them like how George Costanzo delivered them. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. You don't think so? Uh, no. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like after we record this, I'm going to like try to get a George Costanza impression going for you, but okay. I can't. I cannot record that. All right. I'll try to, to send you like a side-by-side uh, performance. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I thought it was like spot on. But yeah, 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 I, I liked his character. He he provided to get a comedic relief, uh, for sure. Those those good. Um. All right, man. Well, zero to five pairs of garden shears. What do you give this movie? Oh man, <laughs> uh, I feel bad because I, I, uh, I yeah, yeah, you know, I, I didn't enjoy this too much, and so I had it as a one, and I thought like as we talk, it would it would kind of like work its way up. Um, and I, I guess it did because I think you've pointed out like the things that are unique about this, which, for better or worse, it's still them kind of taking a risk and diverging from the standard uh, slasher formula. So I think I would probably give this uh, one and a half uh, shears. Uh, was it was that it? Shears, garden shears. Yeah, yeah, one and a half um, garden shears. And I will just say for the slasher savvy listener, we I know we're talking a lot about how this deviates from the norm. There really wasn't that much of a crazy norm. <laughs> established here it was all very new and the concept for the story was presented before Friday the 13th part 2 was even I think before Friday the 13th was even filmed right that's what they say but then it came out like a year later so that's yeah I mean it, it took a little while I think the concept was introduced um, in 1979 yeah the initial concept and creation of the treatment for this film happened before Friday the 13th was released yeah yeah so Which, yeah, we're talking about how this this movie um, pivoted away from the standard tropes, but the standard tropes weren't necessarily even standard then. So yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. Um, well, I don't know. You had like two, three years of like uh, uh, films, right? At that point. Yeah, I mean, you have these proto slashers too. You've got Texas Chainsaw and Black Christmas that kind of follow a formula, and Halloween. Halloween, yeah. Um, right. So yeah, but but still. We're in 2021. It's impossible for us to look at it as if it's 1981 all over again. Yeah, yeah. And and to be fair, I feel like uh, after watching this, I'd go back to Friday the 13th, the original one, and maybe like bump that a bit higher because it kind of this one made me appreciate some of those films a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. What, and it, it's amazing because it has like an 80 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So uh, interested to hear what, what your thoughts were. Yeah, it is surprising. It has 80 percent. Um, I give it three pairs of garden shears. Wow, that's awesome. I thought just the quality was a notch above. It still was plagued by a lot of dumb 
kind of inappropriate dialogue like a typical slasher. There were some underwhelming, very straightforward kills that lacked suspense. But some of the uh, cinematography choices, some of the um, plotting, pacing choices, they had their bads, but they had their goods too. Like just the the raft scene and the discovery of the raft scene enough was yeah. just like an anchor and right in the middle of the movie to me that really drew me in and set the movie apart for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that raft scene, so good, man. And you know, you, you, and the opening also, it sounds like you were on board with that. Yeah, yeah, I thought the o- opening was pretty cool too. Yeah, you know, I I, I think I'd bump it up to two because I, I think those three scenes, the, the opening, the raft scene uh, with the murder and then them finding the raft, I, I feel like were really strong scenes. So I, I think I'd go revise that to a two, probably. All right. I talked you up from a one to a two. Yeah, he doubled my score, man. <laughs> Success. <laughs> All right. Um, cool. Well, I guess that's it. You got anything else? No, that's all I got. Cool. Oh, hey, actually, one last thing. Uh, the soundtrack was by uh, a band called Yes. Did, did you like the soundtrack? Oh, yeah, we didn't even mention that. The dude, uh, Rick Wakeman of the band Yes, composed the score. Yeah, and, and did you like it? I thought it was just fine. It seemed actually like really minimal and only came into play during the kill scenes. What did you yeah. think? Uh, I kind of hated it. I thought it was dumb. Oh, really? But okay. Yeah, I was, I was just surprised that it was like this uh, guy. I, mean, I don't know. Have you ever listened to Yes or is that a band you're aware of? No, I've never really listened to them. Yeah. Same, I mean, I'm same. sure they have singles that I know and don't know that that's Yes, but... Sure. I yeah. just... Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, n- nothing to to uh, nothing to us uh, like uh, impressive to you. It didn't stand out to me, but it seemed like it was kind of highly regarded. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. I yeah, that kind of surprised me. Right, same. I was like, maybe it was playing the whole time, and I just didn't notice it. But then <laughs> I know you always are pretty good about noticing them. So yeah, yeah. I try. This is the, yeah, the, this one kind of it was in the negative uh, court for me. Okay, in a negative court. Yep. <laughs> all right everybody (laughs) that's been our discussion on the burning we hope you enjoyed it if you did please give us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. that helps other people find our show and it makes us happy uh you can connect with us on horrormovieclub.com by using the little contact form there or click on the social links drop down to follow us on facebook or twitter that's where we announce what movie we're going to cover next week There's also a link there for our Discord server where you can hop on and talk to us and other movie fans who are just kind of chatting away all day long, and it's a great place to come hang out and talk to people about movies or whatever. And let's see what else. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can check her out at Etsy.com by searching Amy Mae Popart. There you will find a coaster set uh, curated by us and Amy. One of the coasters includes our logo, so go check that out. Um, we have a Patreon. You can find that at horrormovieclub.com as well. There's a big orange button that says Patreon, or you can go to patreon.com slash horrormovieclub, and for a buck a month, you can gain access to some bonus content. I think that's it. So until next time, just a quick PSA for me and Ashvin. Uh, sleeping next to a giant container of gasoline that you keep indoors, that's a gateway drug to becoming a horribly scarred, forest-lurking serial killer. So just don't do it. Put it in the hallway. (laughs) Put it in the hallway. Move your gasoline closer to your kids.